Let me take you back to that song that we just sang together for a moment. Uh, There is a line there that I think is so rich in theology and so powerful when we really understand it. It says uh, that, that, that Jesus, the name of Jesus, silences the boast of sin and shame. Hmm. I don't think y'all really get what that's talking about. Because if we got it, it would be like more than a golf clap to us. It'd be like, that is my hope. That's what I'm counting on. Because it says that Jesus, the power of Jesus, the name of Jesus, when we somehow get Christ in you, that it does something that nothing else can do. It silences this boast of sin and shame in your life. And what that means is this, is that I think every single person in this room knows that there, that there is this thing called sin inside of us and it grabs onto us and it holds us and it keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to become. I, I think that all kinds of us in this room, we've taken a couple steps forward, but there's this thing that has a boast over us, it's proud over us, it has a hold over us and it grabs onto us, we're moving forward and yet it says, oh, oh, you're back here. You don't live that way, you're not free, you're a slave to this back here. And you move forward, anybody in the room, you move forward? but then you're like falling back. It's like you're going forward, but I want to go forward, but there's this thing that grabs onto you and it pulls you back down into the gutter. And it says there's this name. The name of Jesus. It has a power to silence that in your life. It has a power to free you from the grip of the things that keep pulling you back. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so here's what we're doing uh, in, in, in church today uh, at both campuses. And if you're on video today, man, we so welcome you. If you're watching online, we, we are so excited that you're here. Um, but, but we're in this journey through a Bible book called Colossians. And it's kind of sad for me today because um, we're coming to the end of this series. We're going to spend one more week in this little book. And I've loved our time in this book. I, I feel like I've grown so much. Have you grown so much? Uh, I think so. Uh, it's, it's been rich, and, and, and so if when, when you look at where we've been, we've been in this little book study through the book of Colossians. We start at the beginning, just working our way through, and I want to remind you that this book in the Bible is really just a letter. It's a letter that a pastor named Paul, Paul was this man God used in extraordinary ways to, to start Christian churches, and, and Paul had all of these little churches, and, and the book of Colossians, the people of Colossae, were one of the churches that was his own. Uh, it was a little city, a Roman city on the outskirts of the empire, and there was this growing group of Christians that gathered in the church there thousands of years ago, and he writes them this letter because, because he's at this point that he hears these new believers were struggling in their faith. They were struggling to figure out what to do next and where to go with this newfound faith. Uh, he heard that some of them were downplaying the importance of Christ inside of Christianity. He had heard through the grapevine, through these people who were talking to him about what was happening at his little church in Colossae, that some people were saying that you could have a big religion, but a small Jesus. That you could could somehow claim the name of Christ, but you don't have to be crazy about Jesus. That he can just be kind of an add-on to this thing called faith. And Paul comes along and says, are you crazy? He comes along and he says, no, 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 no. Jesus is everything to those of us who believe. That he is God made flesh. That that the way to God is through Jesus. That the hope of anything good in your life comes through Jesus. Because it's not through you. Because if it was through you, you would have already made yourself all glorious and big and good and perfect. But you can't. And you haven't. And so he comes along and he says, no, 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 no. Jesus is everything. And then he gets around this idea. As a matter of fact, he says, it's more important that, that, that Jesus is two words, in you than even with you. You see, because a whole bunch of us have grown up with this idea that God is with you. That he's somewhere out there, but he's with you. He's walking alongside of you. He's got your back. That he's your friend. And all that's good and all that's true. But what we've been dealing with is what we call the Tupperware gospel. And it's not just that he's with you. It's better than that. He is, what is it? What is it? In you. Amen? Y'all with me? Yeah, that he's in you. 
That, that something has changed inside of you. And so we've been talking about this whole idea and, and we use the Tupperware to kind of illustrate this a little bit, right? And, and you all remember the, the backstory of this. We talked about it. It, it says that here, here's you, like, right? Like if you were represented by something, uh, let's just say this is you, okay? You're better looking than this, but, but this is you, right? If this Tupperware was to represent you and if we were to lit, rip the lid of this Tupperware off, we would say that inside of every single one of us, now pay attention to this, this is really true, that there's this thing called sin inside of you. And you know what that is. You don't need a preacher man to come down there and point anything out to you because you know what separates you from God. You know what the blackness of your own soul is. You know what struggles deep inside of you, what lurks in the shadows of your heart. You know this. Well, the Bible labels that sin. It says it's in you. And that gives us deep trouble in life because it keeps, keeps us from all that God wants us to be. But it's worse than just having sin in you. And you do know that sin is in you, right? You don't need anybody to help you lust. You don't need anybody to help you to be greedy. You don't need anybody to help you to be arrogant. You come by those things naturally, right? They're in you. And let me tell you something. They're in me. And they're in me. And that makes big trouble for me. It separates me from my relationship with God. It's in me. But it's worse than that, friends. It says this, that, that we, we live in this world that, that is full of sin. So there's you. You're looking good in there, but you got sin inside of you. And that does not look so good. And now you got sin all around you. So now you're looking kind of ugly. It's true, right? And you know that sin's all around you. I mean, come on, you just look at the world, right? Am I, am I the only one to notice that this world is jacked up? That this world is screwed up? That people do the most atrocious things to one another? It's amazing what goes on in our world. And the Bible says because of what's in you and because of where you live in the world around you, it says sin is in you and sin is around you. And it says because of that, it is worse than bad. You know what it is? It means you're dead. It's worse than bad. It means you're dead. The Bible says that your soul is dead. The very thing that is supposed to be alive unto God is dead. The very thing that is supposed to, to bring you freedom and joy and hope in this world, it's dead. And so what we do is we go to all these other things in life and we look for these external things that kind of make us better, that kind of give us happiness for what? A couple minutes or a couple weeks or a couple months? And then they break or they go out of style or they become no longer satisfying to us. Because why? Our soul is still dead because of this. But, but this is the good news. This is the, this is the Tupperware gospel right here. You want to hear the Tupperware gospel again? Come on, come on, you do? That God comes in, if you are careful, and I don't know exactly, exactly what this looks like, we've been talking about this for the last couple months, but if you somehow, in some way, figure out how to get Christ in you, it changes the game. It changes the God-man relationship. It, it totally revolutionizes your heart before God because here's what happens. The scripture says that when you get Christ in you, he comes and he takes you out of this, this world of sin and he says, okay, listen, you're gonna still be in that, but I'm gonna surround you in a different way. I'm gonna do something and he reaches deep and he rips the lid of your life off. He goes down deep into your soul and he says, oh, there's this ugly thing called sin there, but sin sucks and sin will separate you from God and I no longer want you to live with sin in you or live in sin. I want you to be changed. And so here's what he says. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Woo! Tupperware. Christ. Listen to this, friends. Christ. It says he, the two words, in you. He's no longer just with you. The Bible says that when you come to him in faith, when it's authentic and real and humble, when you, not perfect, there's nobody, nobody here is perfect. Nobody's got it all together. But when you somehow, in, in the full measure of examination of your own heart, when you realize who you are before God and you humbly submit to him and ask him to forgive you and to become in you what you cannot become on yourself, listen what happens. He says, I come and I take up residence within you. In you. And it's better than that. Not only does he become in you, it says that he surrounds you. He already told us he's with you. You know he's with you. And so it's like this, mama, right there. I'm telling you that. We don't need that. That's sin. And it says this. It says, now you're right there, baby. It says that Christ is in you and you're in Christ and that's looking pretty good right there. That's looking pretty good. You could take that to a picnic right there. Hey, let's have some Christ for dinner right there, right? But he says it's even better than this. Here's what we've been learning is that when you have Christ in you and you're in Christ, it says this, 
You're in him, the Father in heaven. You are in God, the Father, that your relationship with God, the Father, becomes utterly different. And God, who was once distant from you, God, who was once far from you, once you, upon a time, you go, I'm not even sure about this whole creation thing. I think I was created. I don't think I came from nothing because it's really hard to come from nothing, but I, they tell me I came from nothing, but I can't believe I came from nothing. There has to be something more. And all of a sudden, that distant relationship from God, with God becomes very personal because it says you're in him through Christ, his son, through the name of Jesus. He bridges the God-man relationship. I think that's looking pretty good right there. Amen? Y'all got me? I'm preaching way better than you all are reacting. I can tell you that right now. Because this is good stuff. And so Paul writes to them this letter. And he says it like this. He says, all real followers of Christ they're crazy about Jesus. He says that, that, that Jesus is their everything. That Jesus is their hope. He uses this phrase, the hope for glory, the hope for anything good in your life, the hope for anything substantive, the hope for anything eternal, the hope for any change. No longer is it gonna be just two steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, five steps back. He says, enough of that. He says, you want hope in your life? It's found in Christ, being in you, in you. And so Paul now comes to the end of this book in chapter four, and we're turning the corner, and we're gonna wrap it up next week. Um, but now he says, he says, so if you want to be part of this, he says, if you want to advance the kingdom of God in your life, if you wanna take next steps in your life, and if you wanna advance the church together, if you wanna be part of God's move on earth, he says it's gotta be very, very personal. And what's interesting is as we're going to read through this little section, just a few verses together, um, you're going to see probably what I saw. He's going to give us these ideas for advancing the kingdom of God. And, and some of them are very, what you call tangible, like things that you can do and you can put your hands around. But I think you're going to get another feeling at the same time. While they seem to be somewhat tangible, they're also intangible. You know what intangible is? It's like, you know it when you see it, but you can't really define it. It's like, you, you, you can't really touch it. You know what it is. It's like love. Love, you, you know what it is, but you can't like go, hey, here's love. Here's, here's love right here. This is love. It's intangible to a certain degree, right? But you know it when you experience it. You know it when you feel it. So he's going to give us some things that are tangible, something that you can do, but it carries this very spiritual meaning behind it, this very um, intangible kind of feel to it. But let me tell you something, friends. If we get this, life is going to be different. Life is going to be different. You're going to be able to take your next steps, steps with God. You're going to be able to move forward. Because here's where he says to start. This is what he says. And you may want to write this down or take a picture of this. Here's what he's going to teach us. Paul is going to say, you pray first, you work second. You pray first, you work second. You pray first, you work second. So he says, pray first. Let me read this to you. Check this out. Check, check this out. He says, devote yourselves to, say this word, prayer. Y'all can't read? What does he say? He says, devote yourselves to prayer. prayer. There's that word. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So he says, listen, there's all kinds of things that you're gonna have to watch out for because there's all kinds of things that are gonna wanna take you away from this thing called prayer. Anybody in the room ever feel like you're just too busy to pray? He's talking about you. He says, be watchful for those things because you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna say, I got so much going on that I can't stop for 10 minutes to spend with my creator. I don't even have 10 minutes to talk to him about what's going on in my life. I don't have 10 minutes to reflect deeply on some more important values in my life. And he's gonna say to you, he's gonna say to me, you better be watchful because there's all kinds of things that are gonna take you away. You're gonna think you're too busy to pray. But let me tell you something, friends. You are too busy not to pray. You, you got so much going on, I don't see another way that you can get it all done. I, I think you got so many struggles going on in your life, I don't see any way that you can win unless you pause to pray. Because there's a whole bunch of things that you wish you could do and wish you could fix and wish you could change that you would have fixed and changed a long time ago if you could fix and change them. But you can't. So it just seems to me, and I'm not the smartest man out there, but it just seems to me that at some point I gotta realize that God can do some things that I cannot do. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Yeah. 
That there's some things that God can do that I simply cannot do. And so he says, devote yourselves to prayer and to be watchful and thankful. And then he says this, and what? What's this word? And? And? And pray. He says it again. He says, and pray for us too. And why? That God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, the Tupperware gospel. He says, I want to tell this to the world. Help me to do this. Help me to do this. Help me to do this. Now, he didn't have Tupperware. It didn't get invented until 1946. We have Tupperware, but you know what he means, right? The mystery of Christ, Christ in you. Christ in you. Here's what he says. Check this out. He says this. He says, pray that the mystery of Christ would go forward for which I am in chains. And then he says this again, verse four. Pray. Pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray first, work second. Pray first, work second. Here, here's Paul. I want you to get this in your mind because this could have just went right over you. I'm not even sure you get this, but here's Paul this pastor writing this little church that he cares deeply about. And you know where he is writing them from? A Roman prison cell. He is in chains. Now, to me, this is crazy. He goes to the church, that would be us. He says, pray, pray that I keep doing the very thing that got me in jail. Now, I've been in trouble with the law a few times. And I'm not going, hey, pray that I keep speeding because I got a ticket and I really liked it. I'm going, pray that I get out of this ticket, right? I call my wife and I say, honey, I just got pulled over. You better pray right now because we can't afford another 180 bucks, right? <laughs> and Paul is crazy. He says, you pray that I keep doing the same thing that landed me here in the first place. Because I have one mission in life, and that is to advance the kingdom of God, to move the kingdom of God forward in my life and in the world around me. So he says, pray for an open door. He says, pray for the open door of hearts of people right around me. Pray, pray for your family members that they would have an open heart to this. He says, pray for the people that you work with. Some of them are crazy and you're going, I can't even stand these people. He says, I know you don't like them, but pray for them anyways. He says, pray for those around you. Pray for that crazy neighbor down the road. He says, pray that you can advance the kingdom of God. Pray for the lost in your community. Pray, pray, pray. He didn't say, pray and then come and bail me out of jail. He didn't say, oh, pray that I get out of this mess. He didn't tell you about your messes. He didn't say, write your congressman about it. Maybe he can help. He said, pray. He didn't say, oh, go grab a protest sign and stand on the corner. He said, if you got problems in this world, he says, you pray about them first. You work second. You go to God first to do what you cannot do. And maybe God will show up in a big way for you. Maybe God will help change the world through you if you pray first. He didn't say argue about your point of view. He didn't say debate for another hour trying to convince somebody else. He didn't even say complain about the pastor and say let's get a better pastor so that our church will grow more. He said pray. He said ask God to do what you cannot seem to do on your own. It's our first line, not of defense. It's our first line of offense. Listen to me, friends. The church can survive just fine as an institution without prayer. But let me tell you something. We will become nothing more than another monument in this world. We will never be the love movement we talk about. Without prayer, listen, we will have, we will have buildings and we will have budgets and we will have kids programs and we will have music and we will come here and we will clap a little bit. But unless it is bathed in prayer, it is nothing more than a dead move, uh, monument. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing more. Yeah. Nothing more. Nothing more. We'll never become what God wants us to become. We'll be, never become a movement of God if we do not willingly Listen to me, friends. Willingly submit ourselves and our entire church before God. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. Prayer shouldn't be something that we turn to when we failed at everything else. Prayer shouldn't be, let me just try another thing and then I'll pray about it. Prayer shouldn't be like, oh, I've yelled at my kid a hundred times. Maybe I'm going to pray for them now. No, prayer should not be something that we resort to. It should be our first thing. Pray first, work second. Pray first, work second. Oh, I've been talking to this guy forever. Well, maybe you should talk to God about people before you talk to people be about God. Maybe you should talk to, to God about the people in your life that you care about before you talk to the people you care about about God. We, we've been saying it like this for a long time around here. Maybe some of you remember this, but we've been saying when man works, man works. Anybody remember? But when man prays, God works. And let me tell you something. There is a huge difference between what man can do and what God can do. We can spin our wheels all day long. 
But God wants us to turn to him. God wants us as our Father in heaven to turn to him. And I don't quite understand why, but that's just the way it is. And let me tell you something. I got some little guys in my life, my, my sons, and I'm telling you what, uh, it's a, it kind of makes you feel good as dad when they're like trying and they're trying and they're trying and then they eventually come to me and go, Dad, I need your help. I'm like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because I'm the dad. Because I'm dad. And let me tell you something. We got a Father in heaven who loves us. And he wants us as his children to come to him. Are you hearing me? He wants us to come to him and lay it all before him. And I don't know who wrote this, uh, but this is really good. I'd give credit to somebody, maybe to you. I don't know, maybe you told me this. I don't remember who told me this, but this is what I wrote down. Uh, What the church needs today is not more machinery, not more organization, not better new or more novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit of God can use, men and women who are mighty in prayer. And again, I wish I knew who who to give that credit to, but I think that is right. Friends, listen, God doesn't anoint a, a, a great auditorium like this. God doesn't anoint a building just because it's cool. God doesn't anoint a PA system or a very talented band just because they can come up here and make some good noise for us. And God doesn't anoint children's ministries that are really fun for kids. God does not anoint teen ministries that get them together and get them all fired up for nothing. God does not anoint preachers who stand on the stage and just throw words. Let me tell you something who God anoints. God anoints men and women and God anoints preachers who's, who's, who are prayed up and fired up and given over to God. And, and when the church prays for the preacher, that's who is anointed. That's when it becomes something that I cannot do on my own and what you cannot do on your own. You want to know the kind of families that God changes? It's when a family gets on their knees before God and they cry out to God, well, my husband's not there. Listen, what God anoints is when a, when a house wife, when a wife gets on her knees praying for her husband. That's what God changes. Or your kids who are wandering or your singleness that you're struggling in so deeply. And you're out there looking and shopping and you're looking and shopping, but you haven't gone to God. Pray first. Pray first. Work second. It'll go easier for you. Because God can do what you cannot. Somebody needs to say something right there because I think that's true. Listen to this. This is where he goes next. So now he's going to advance the mission. He's saying there's something you can do now in this mission. You got to get smart about this mission. Pray first, work second, but here's how we're going to work. Here's how it is, ready? Verse five, he says, now be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So he says, be wise. Listen, be wise. Be wise toward outside people. In other words, don't be an idiot. Don't be a jerk. Learn to shut it sometimes. Learn to be nice even when you don't want to be nice. Be wise toward outsiders. True story, true story. Uh, a lady in our church was telling me how she was going to her office. She was always talking about Metro and just like Metro this and Metro that. And we got the coolest bands and we got a great sound and, and we got a restaurant and she's going on on our kids programs, amazing. And we have all these things for teenagers and it's amazing. And she even says, true story, true story. She even says, and our preacher is unbelievable. She says, our preacher, listen, she goes, our preacher is amazing and he's really good looking, possibly one of the best looking guys ever. Okay, I made up that part. Okay, but listen, but, but you get what she, so she's bragging on this church, right? And this, this office worker she's working with literally says, really? Because I have been thinking about coming back to church and I'm interested. So what church is this? And she goes, uh, Metro City Church. And, uh, and then the lady goes, well, who's the preacher there? And uh, this, our lady says, well, Jeremy Shasso is, is the preacher. And the lady goes, Jeremy who? Well, she says, Jeremy Shasso. She goes, there can't be that many Jeremy Shassos. Pretty energetic guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know him. He is the biggest jerk, Bible-thumping, trash-talking. He is just rude and arrogant and self-righteous, holier than thou. I would never go to his church. True story. This lady knew me back in high school. 
I've learned a couple things. None of us are the same than we were at our, you know, 18, 19, 20, amen. Come on, anybody change? Okay. But it says, be wise how you act toward outsiders. I used to think that my, my goal or my job in somehow reaching the terrible sinner was to grab him by the neck and just beat him in the ground with the Bible. And friends, that just doesn't work. And I am so ashamed, so ashamed of the way I represented my Lord when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Just so ashamed. But God moves you forward. And he says, and he says, be wise toward outsiders. Now, some of us in this room, maybe you've been on the other end of this and you've been the one somebody's been trying to talk to about God and you're looking at this person going, you don't even know, I'm already good with God. I already love God. I'm already a follower of Jesus. I'm all in on this, but you're crazy. But the way they're talking to you is crazy, right? Now listen, true, true, true story. My wife and I, uh, back in my early 20s, I was a youth pastor at a very, very traditional church, very small, very traditional church, you know, with the robes and the little organ thing and the whole nine yards, right? And uh, there was a very small amount of people, like under 50. And uh, we had a big youth group, though. We had a lot of kids coming. And uh, I was sitting in church one day, true story, uh, I, I played in rock bands back in the day. Okay, 80s band, and so you had long hair. My hair was about two feet long, true story. My hair was like almost to my belt, okay? And so I was sitting there with my beautiful little wife, she's so cute and everything, and we're surrounded, I mean like surrounded by 30, 40 kids, 50 kids in church, which I thought was pretty awesome having that many kids in church, especially when your church is only 50 people to begin with, you know, 50 adults. And so I'm sitting there, and I like throw my hair over the pew, and I'm just hanging out, listening, enjoying the whole thing, just taking it all in, sitting there. And then after church, true story, some lady comes up to me, and uh, she cuts through this little crowd of kids, and she does one of these taps on my shoulders and hands me a note, just like that. And I'm like, and I say to my wife, I said, it must be just another one of these nice old ladies who are, you know, kind of cheering us on. They see all the kids here and they must be fired up about that and really happy about that. And so I said, I'm just gonna read this note right here. And I opened up, opened up this note. True story, honestly, God, you can ask my wife. I open this up and it says, you are the devil incarnate. And I'm like, What? <laughs> And she says, you have defiled the house of God. You are an abomination. You are unholy and unrighteous. How dare you have that long hair in church? I didn't even know what hit me. I'm sitting there, and I turn around, and all I see is this lady skirting out the back door, getting out of town, right? And she had to tell me what was up. And I just wanted to catch up to her and say, I'm the youth pastor. I'm the youth pastor. I want you to think about this for a moment. What if my heart would have been far from God? What if my heart would have been like, here for the last time, this is the last time I'm in church, this is the last time I'm gonna give this a try, and they better impress me, they better get it right, because I am sick of the judgmental, hypocritical Christian world. What if they would have been sitting in our church and one of us behaved poorly to them? What if one of us would have walked right by and snubbed them, because maybe they look a little different than you? Listen, Billy Graham says it this way about being wise toward outsiders. Billy Graham, the legendary great preacher. God used him in so many incredible ways. Here's what Billy Graham said. He says, the reason we have so many unbelievers in this world is that they look at unbelievers, or they look at believers who acknowledge God with their mouth but deny God with their lifestyle. When they do not love like God loves, when they do not love like Jesus loves, when they say all the right words, but their actions show something different, it says to you and to me to be wise toward outsiders, to let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Now, do you wonder why salt shows up at the dinner table? Because food is going to show up at the dinner table. And salt goes with food. That's why it's there. And let me tell you something. Do you ever wonder why, why the person who moves into the cubicle next to you just is annoying like crazy to you? They're there because you're there. God put them there just like he put salt next to food. Because why? Salt needs to be added to the food. The food needs to be seasoned. You ever wonder why that neighbor who is just so dark and it's like, this guy's ruining the neighborhood. Why he's there is because you're there. And you're called to be the light of the world. And so in order to be light of the world, you need to have a little darkness around you. 
You gotta be able to uh, make a difference in the darkness around you. You gotta have the food around you so you can make it a little bit salty. That's our call. It says, let your conversations be seasoned with salt, full of grace, being able to give an answer for the hope that you have. Wow, the hope that you have. The hope that you have. The hope of glory that you have. The world's waiting to see it. And so here's what we're gonna do together. We're gonna spend some time making this personal. Because, friends, it starts with you and me praying for divine appointments. You and me accepting those divine appointments. I was at the the Riverview campus the other day. I swung in and I was going to get lunch at Baxter's and it was going to be quick and I'm in a rush. I'm always in a rush and I had appointments and all that kind of stuff and you know how it goes and, and so I go in, I order the whole meal thing and, and I'm sitting at the table waiting and I'm answering emails trying to make the most of all my time and right up to my left, about five feet, six feet away from me is a lady and uh, she's on the phone and I wasn't prying and I wasn't trying to listen but I just couldn't help but notice that she was very upset and she started crying on the phone. But let me tell you something. It wasn't an angry sort of a cry. You know that kind of a cry. But this was a cry like, I don't know what to do. I'm just lost. I'm just broken. And I could tell. And God's saying to me, uh, you got to go talk to her. And I'm like, I'm so busy. I just want to get lunch and leave. You're the pastor. You're the pastor. Like, yeah, but I just need lunch. And I was like in work clothes and I didn't look good, the whole nine yards. And I can see this lady, she's just struggling. And so I just go up and say, do you need to talk a little bit? You just need to talk. And she did. And she just started to share her story with me, just like out of the blue. And uh, I kid you not, it was some of the worst abuse that I've ever heard of in my life. And my heart was just devastated and broken for this lady. And my hope is that maybe I encouraged her. That's a couple things, I don't know. But all I know is that there are divine appointments. There's divine appointments in your life. The reason you're on that soccer team is because God puts you there. It is a divine appointment. The reason that guy is working down the line from you is because it is a divine appointment. God needs you in his life. You are the salt, you are the light, you go be that to them. The reason your neighborhood is like it is and the reason they're there is because you're there. God has put you together. It is a divine appointment and we should start acting like it. But the problem with most of us as believers is that we don't walk into divine appointments. We don't move toward them. We don't say, yay, God, bring them on, bring them on, bring them on. You know what we do? We hide and we're not courageous. We're acting like God won't show up if we show up. But God will show up if we show up every single time. He will show up in ways that you never dreamed or thought possible. If you move toward him, he will move towards you every single time. Every time. So this is our mission. Pray first, work second. Don't just work, pray. And don't just pray, work. Do both. It is our mission. So here's what we're gonna do at both of our campuses, both of our campuses. We're going to spend some time reflecting, very personal. We're going to make this relationship personal with God. We're going to celebrate and remember communion together. So here, what I'd like to do tonight is I want to lead you into this. Now, you've, if you've been around Metro, you know that we do communion maybe a little bit different. But communion is this idea of remembering what Christ has done for us. Communion is this idea of, of remembering that, that Jesus paid for something, your sin, my sin, so that we would not have to pay on our own. And he leads us to remember him in this way. And we're going to talk about this. Um, and so what we're going to do a little bit different tonight than we normally do, usually we say when the band starts playing, I want you to come and, and participate in this if you're ready. Uh, but today, here, as the band just sings us one song, maybe you can stand, maybe you sit, I don't know. Maybe you want to sing, maybe you won't, I don't know. But I want this to be a time 
where it becomes deeply personal with God. Where before anybody takes communion, uh, the scripture says that we are going to examine our own hearts. We're going to examine our own souls. And we're going to ask God to reveal in us the areas where we are, are not right with him. And we're going to say, God, I want to be used by you. And I want to give you my life. I want to give you my heart. God, I want to give you my family, my home, my marriage, my children, my friends, my work. I'm going to give this to you. I want you to make this very personal. And then when the band is done singing this song, we're gonna, we have these communion stations up front here. Um, I'm going to invite you to, to come if you're ready. And you're going to come and you're going to take the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for you. Shed on, a beat on the cross for you, hung on the cross for you. It represents his body. You're, you're saying, I'm part of that. When he suffered, I suffered. And when he died, I died. And when he rose from the grave, I rose from the grave. That there is new life in me because of him. Does that make sense? It is symbolic of what Christ has done for you. You're going to grab the bread, and then you're going to come to the cup, which is the wine, which represents the blood of Christ. And you're going to dip the bread in the cup. And it's symbolic of the blood that Christ shed on the cross for you so you would not have to shed your own blood. He makes it right when we can't make it right before God. You see, your sin doesn't need fixed. Your sin needs forgiven, right? It needs forgiven. And so he provides this forgiveness and we're going to remember this together. We're going to take some time to reflect and then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to invite you. So during this time, you may want to I don't know, just may want to go over to the corner. I know this is going to be weird for us, a little bit different. Maybe you want to come and kneel at this front and call it like your altar before God. Maybe you just want to be quiet in your chair and put your head down. I don't know. But my hope is, is that you will be very personal with God right now. Very personal.
the band keeps playing, I'm going to invite you, when you're ready, to come and take communion. To be personal with God, thanking Him, being watchful over your own soul. And uh, we have stations up front here, and if you're gluten-free, we actually have one in the back for you because we want everybody to do this, right? It's open for you.
So I would like to end in a little bit different way today. So if you could just go ahead and take a seat. And I, and I know this um, might be a little bit foreign to a couple of you, um, but I want to lead us in a little bit of an extended prayer. Uh, I want to make this very personal. And we talked about praying, and so I want to end by doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to end by doing it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say some things. Uh, I'm going to try to choose words that will help lead you into this. Uh, so these are really meant to be your words. And so if you want to repeat silently or out loud, I don't really care, but this is really for you and God. Um, and I'm praying from my heart uh, just to lead our congregation. So would you just collectively just bow with me for a moment? And uh, we want to begin like this. So Father in heaven... Um, wow, you are so good and you are so gracious. God, I admit my sin. I admit that far too often it's a couple steps forward and two or three back. And I don't want to be that way, God. I really don't. And so, Father, I just give my life to you. Father, I, again, I just place my home, my family, my kids, my wife, my possessions, my life into your hands. God, it's like an altar. I just lay it on the altar before you. And Father, there are so many people, even in my own life, uh, that I would love to have a divine appointment with. God, I want to tell you that right now that I would love to be the person you use. God, I don't know if I have all the answers, I don't have all the words, but God, I just want to do what you want me to do. I want to be part of your kingdom. And so right now we're going to pray for some of the people right around us. Uh, Lord, I come and I first lift up my family to you. My immediate family, my mom, my dad, my, my wife, my husband, my children, um, my brothers, my sisters, the people that I say I love most in this world. God, I, I pray that somehow you would arrange this appointment with them. And God, I may have tried a hundred times to share my faith, but God, I pray that in some way that you would make me wise and that you would give me the right opportunity and I'd be able to do this, Lord. I love them and I want them to know you, God. You've changed my life and I want you to change theirs. I want you to give them the heart of God. And I pray for my neighbors, God. You put me in my neighborhood for a reason. You put me in my spheres of influence, my friendships. So I pray for my friends. I think sometimes it's harder to share faith with my friends than it is my own family. Because they're going to think I'm weird. But God, I pray that you would give me courage. And that you'd give me the right words. And that you'd give me the opportunities. And that I would be bold and I would take them, God. Not to beat anybody over the head with faith, but God, just to live out my faith. Lord, I pray for my workplace, God. Uh, pray for my bosses. I pray for my coworkers. God, I, I want to be the light. I want to be the salt. And it's so hard there. But God, help me to do this, God. Help me to, to stand for you. Help me to stand firm for you, God. Help me to be gentle and wise and humble. But, but God, help me to speak of your name when it's appropriate. Open these doors for me, God. And God, I pray for the battle that's in my own heart right now. Whatever it is that you battle in your own heart with God. It could be some sort of substance. It could be pornography. It could be anger. It could be some sort of lust same-sex attraction, whatever it is. It could be honesty. It could be that you're just full of yourself and full of pride and full of arrogance. Just 
just give that to God. Make, make that personal with him. And say, God, I, I need you to help me through this. I need you to help me overcome this. God, I need you to do in me what I cannot seem to do for myself. Do a new work in me. Do a new work, God. And now I want to lead us to pray that we would have self-discipline to really pray first, <laughs> to go to God first in our life. So maybe you need to say, God, to something like this to God. Father, um, I am sorry um, that everything seems to come before you. I am sorry for saying I love you most, but you matter very little to me in my personal time. God, I'm sorry for being a hypocrite like that. God, I, I want to know you more. I want to pray. I want to be personal with you. I want to read the Bible. I want to get to know the Bible. Help me to do this, God. Help me to take my next steps with this. Help me to carve out a time, maybe every morning, maybe every lunch break, maybe every evening. But just help me to carve out 10 minutes to be with you, God, to talk to you, to be honest with you to learn from you. God, help me to open the Bible to learn about you for myself because I need it. Help me, God, to take the next steps. So, Father in heaven, I pray for grace for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that nobody would feel beat up going out of this place, but they'd be encouraged to go farther with you, to be salt, to be light. God, to be personal with you. Help them, Father. Help me, God. In Jesus' name, together we say, amen, amen, amen. Okay, we're good.